Well, hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Marika Syed, the founder of healthy cookie brand Snackzilla. When Marika's kids were too old for healthy toddler snacks, they began to ask for unhealthy adult snacks and she spotted a gap in the market. Now, Snackzilla is Marika's first business, but it's definitely her most ambitious. Marika started Snackzilla with huge ambitions. Snackzilla sells lower sugar, healthy snacks for kids, which are perfect for lunch book snacks or after school. But we're not just talking niche healthy snacks you might get at a specialist store. Marika's not going to stop until Snackzilla is taking on the really big players in the snack market, and she's going to give them a run for their money. It's so much fun and so inspirational talking to someone who has such big ambitions and vision. Listen to this interview to learn exactly how Marika created and grew her brand Snackzilla, what she's learned along the way, and her top pieces of advice for anyone who wants to start their own food business. I hope that you enjoy my interview with Marika Syed. This is the A Mother Brand podcast, and I'm your host, Noni White. I'm a former TV producer-director turned mother and entrepreneur, passionate about showing more mothers that you don't have to settle, that there is a way to be the mother that you want to be and do work that you truly love that works for you. On this show, I'll share simple strategies for building a life you love based on business development and personal development through the lens of the science of well-being, positive psychology. I'll also be sharing interviews with inspiring female founders and my own insights and experiences from the front line of juggling motherhood and business. Now let's get going with today's episode. Marika, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Noni. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. So, Snackzilla, when did you start up Snackzilla? What is it? Oh gosh, I think I think it's been about four years now, which is really scary when I say it like that because that feels like forever. Um, but Snackzilla is a brand new kids healthier snack brand aimed at kids kind of age five to 10, 11. So kind of that primary school years. And it started four years ago when my kids, my kids are now 11 and eight. So four years ago, they were really kind of moving out of the kind of bare yo-yos, organics, Ella's Kitchen kind of wonderfulness of those amazing brands and products. And they wanted to move on to kind of junk food and they were really getting swayed by advertising and they wanted Oreos and Maryland cookies in their lunch boxes. And I thought there must be something that kind of bridges the gap between kind of toddler food and adult food, which is full of you know, highly processed, full of palm oil and loads of salt and sugar. And there really wasn't a brand uh, or many products out there that was kind of for that target market, for that age group. And I thought, well, there must be, you know, an opportunity here. And yeah, I decided to do something about it. So what were you doing at that time in your life? I was running um, a startup. Um, I was the COO of a startup, which was nothing to do with food. It was called London Craft Week, and it's still existing and running now. And it was a, a non-profit uh, startup running um, kind of a luxury event in London, celebrating outstanding craftsmanship. So it was working with the likes of Chanel and Mulberry. Um, I was working with the British Museum and the Victoria and Albert Museum. 
and also independent small makers and craftsmen who are kind of showcasing the very best of what they do. So ceramics, glass, fashion, jewellery, um, textiles. And it was a week of about 250 to 300 events over a week. Um, and I did that for four, nearly five years. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, I loved it. I loved it. And I learned so much about starting a business from nothing. It was an idea. Um, it was a very small team and we built it into, you know, a decent sized team and, and really successful. Uh, but I felt like I'd, I'd done it and there wasn't really much else for me to do there. So I was ready for my next challenge. After like four or five years, I usually start to get that itch of, I need something new um, to get my teeth into. So yeah, I, I was then, and then it just happened to coincide with the time where my kids, you know, I started to realize that every day this was a frustration and talking to friends, it was a frustration for them too. Like, what do you give your kids as, you know, snacking was just increasing, increasing, increasing. And they were getting to that age where they were just constantly asking for snacks. And yeah, the two just kind of married together at the right time. I was thinking about what my next opportunity was going to be. And there was a kind of a problem that I thought I could solve. Amazing. And so the, the craft fair that you ran, that was a deep immersion in the world of all of these incredible businesses, as well as starting up your own. Were you an entrepreneur before that as well? Yes. So when I had my first son, um, prior to that, I was doing consultancy work, like management consultancy, project consultancy. And when I had my first baby, I couldn't cope with like just being at home with a baby and I want, I needed something else to do. And so I set up a, um, uh, a something a bit, a bit like not on the high street. It was called lavish and delight. And we were selling on not on the high street, but I was importing products from Holland, baby and kids products. And I was also selling other makers that I knew their products. And we were doing pop, I was doing pop-up shops and I had a website and that was kind of my first taste of you know, online retailing, and yeah, I did that for about three, four years as well, kind of on the side. So I'd have the baby in the sling while I was wrapping up orders um, and doing markets. So getting out there and trading and, and doing that research and talking to customers. And so I was doing that and that was kind of my first taste of running my own business. Um, and that made me realize, yeah, I could do it. I had those skills. I'd learned those skills over the years doing kind of consultancy work. And, um, and that gave me, yeah, that was kind of my lead in to get the London Craft Week job. And then, yeah, it all went from there. Amazing. So Snackzilla, when you set it up, what was your big vision? Um, from very early on, actually, I knew I wanted it to be a kind of a big brand, a mass brand. I knew it wasn't going to be me making a product and going to farmers markets and selling it I knew I wanted it to be I was much more interested in the brand and that opportunity than you know necessarily the product per se um, the products could be anything I went down the cookie route to start with because a I love baking and I love cookies and so did my kids and I didn't really know that many kids who didn't like biscuits and I could see there wasn't many healthy biscuits out there you know, Nairns have like a kind of dry oaty biscuit, but there wasn't really anything super scrummy and tasty. Um, and also the bar market, most people go into bars, you know, formed bars, and there was just so many bars already out there. Um, 
but the biscuit yeah that just the biscuit came out of all that research and conversations but I was much more interested in how can we create a brand that's gonna compete with those massive commercial brands from you know Unilever and Mondelez and Nestle they're the people who kind of own that that space um, there's not that many small challenger brands giving them a run for the money. And I was really interested in how we can create a brand that can really resonate more with parents. Um, so yeah, my vision from the beginning was, was to go big. So exciting and so ambitious. And so what were your first steps? So my starting point was really research because I knew that I had this issue, but I hadn't really tested it and testing that the, um, the hypothesis I guess so I was talking to a lot of parents I did the first thing I did was a survey monkey that I sent out to friends and asked them to send it out to ask those questions to parents what do you want in a product what are you missing um, what is it that you're looking for and then I joined an accelerator program which was a six months program and at the time it was just saying you know do you have a business idea that you want support with into kind of forming and it was very very early stage businesses and I got onto that with kind of just you know it was the night before the deadline and I just wrote a quick summary of what I was thinking and during those six months of that support I was in a team we would meet every week and it really gave me that impetus to keep going and um they helped with yeah lots of things about thinking about you know the timeline and milestones and how to get a, a business off the ground and spent a lot of time at the British Library doing that research and at the end of about six months period I was you know I'd done the research I'd read the trend reports I'd spoken to potentially you know, my target market and I knew there wasn't definitely an opportunity and yeah that's when I decided to to raise a bit of money. So tell me about that. How did you go about raising money? How much did you need to get started? I initially raised £75,000, which seems seems quite a lot. But in, in food brand terms, I mean, that it is nothing. When I was talking to people who were three, four years ahead of me and had a food brand and it was running successfully, they were all saying to me, you need to raise half a million, you know, straight off the bat. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so much money. Um, but I raised £75,000 through the SEIS scheme. Uh -huh. So that's a tax efficient way of raising money um, that the government kind of backs. And uh, for, you can raise up to £150,000 where the person who makes that investment basically gets a tax break of you know, 50%, basically, they get back in their tax return. So it makes it quite lucrative and quite interesting for an investor to, to invest via that scheme and if the business doesn't go well you know they can basically claim most of their money back um, so I had um, a family member who um, yeah I was really lucky a family member who kind of believed in me believed in the idea and had those funds available so he invested he was my initial investor for those initial 75,000 pounds Gosh, that is lucky. Fantastic. But quite a bit of pressure to deliver <laughs> when it's in the family. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he works in finance and, you know, um, understands that world and understands the risks. So it wasn't, you know, someone's <laughs> an aunt with, you know, that was all her life savings. Um, so, yeah, he understood the risks and obviously also understood the opportunity. Um, but yeah, really lucky that, and that's how most people raise money initially through friends and family. Um, 
because while you're still young and early stage and you haven't got anything to prove that it's going to work it's it's the way that most people do it um so yeah really lucky to get that opportunity at the beginning and I then I used that money to start developing the product so I was working with a food developer I took my um, great-grandmother's recipe uh, for an oat cookie took it to her and worked with her to try and make it adapt it and reformulate it to meet the government guidelines about healthy eating for kids and then the bulk of the money was used on branding so I knew I wanted a really amazing established uh, design and you know branding agency to really help me shape that tone of voice um, that brand story that we were creating um, and that strategy so uh, yeah, most of the money went on on those two things at the beginning. And how did you find this brand company that you approached? It was uh, a recommendation from someone else who had used them. Um, and I, you know, on their website, you can see all the work and the, and the brands they'd done work for. And I just loved everything about them. And I'd also, I also interviewed about four, four design agencies. And, you know, some of them were hundreds of thousands of pounds. And yeah, stunning work, but you just have to kind of go with your gut. And I felt I could really work with these guys. They really understood the vision I had. Um, they're based in Cornwall, so they weren't even in London. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed working with them and I'm still working with them now. It's such a good brand. So what happened next? What's happened in the interim between those early stages <laughs> and where you are now? Gosh, so much has happened. COVID <laughs> took away like two years of, of our lives but um from there so getting the product getting the brand ready and then trying to get it to a point where we can get it into a supermarket was such a long time because we wanted to meet these healthy eating guidelines um and that took about two years of trial and error and constantly adapting the product so we were selling on amazon um but we were constantly changing the product uh, trying to tweak it, trying to make it healthier. I wanted to get um, Change for Life accreditation. So that's from the Department of Health uh, and the NHS now. And that's like a badge of approval, which says, you know, your product meets our healthy eating guidelines. And for that, you had to be under 100 calories. And we were like 110 calories a cookie. And you think, oh, that's easy. I mean, one of the easiest things I could have done was make the product smaller. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't something I was willing to compromise on because I was going for that five to 10 year old. And I knew as soon as we start taking bits, you know, make the cookie smaller and smaller and smaller, um, it didn't seem that good value for money. And those kids need a bit more fuel to keep them going. A 25 gram like little bar a cookie isn't gonna do it. So I wouldn't compromise on the size. So that meant it was back to the drawing board in terms of reformulating what product, what new ingredients can we try? So that was working with manufacturer and developers to kind of work that out. And that took just so much longer than I ever envisaged. You know, you'd think, oh, it could be a month, two months to create a product. And yeah, years later, we're still thinking, how can we improve it? Um, so I think it's just that's a thing that maybe will never end. And I'll constantly be in this cycle. And then in that time, I did two other accelerators as well. And I think that was the one thing I really recommend to people joining a kind of an accelerator or incubator scheme. You just get so much support, especially as if you're a sole founder like me. I didn't have a team or anyone around me to support me. So joining those kind of schemes and there's loads of them, loads of them. 
So the second one I joined was all around uh, food brands with purpose. And so that was amazing. They really helped me own. And originally when we started Snackzilla, I wanted it to be healthy, but I also wanted it to be sustainable. So we were in compostable wrappers. During um, the second incubator accelerator scheme I was on, which was all for food businesses with purpose, I they helped me work out that I couldn't do everything. I couldn't be a healthy brand uh, with that purpose of fighting childhood obesity and also be sustainable because the two weren't going to... The, both of those things added cost onto the product and consumers weren't willing to pay for the healthier product and for the compostable flow wrap on top of that. It made the product so expensive. Um, so one of them had to go and I decided to focus it on the health mission. And so sadly that's sustainable and compostable. And it was so beautiful, my flow wrap. Uh, but my plan is still to look at it and hopefully go back to it in the future. And in the future, those costs should hopefully come down as more and more businesses will probably be forced into using them. So my hope for the future is we can go back to it. That must have been incredibly difficult to put all of that time and money and energy into trying to solve this problem and then realise that actually the consumer wasn't willing to pay for it. So you had to lose it. Yeah, I spent about three months procrastinating about it, which I look back and I think, oh, my God, what I wasted so much time. I should have just made a really quick decision. But it was such a big thing for me. Like I had gone out publicly and said, we're using compostable flow wrap. We're going to be the first biscuit in it. And actually, then when you're like backtracking and, and it was interesting what someone said to me, they said, Marika, you're not Coca-Cola. You know, this isn't going to make the news. Um, <laughs> no one really cares. And it's just it's you and in your head that you think it's a massive deal, but actually it isn't. Um, so I spent three months like thinking about it every night. I'd wake up and in the morning I'd think, is this the right thing to do? Um, but yeah, I, I'm really pleased with the decision. I just wish I'd made it quicker because I, I wasted a lot of time. Is it wasting or is it a learning lesson, a learn, an opportunity for growth? It's just when I look back at it, I think, yeah, I, I should have just really, you know, been much more focused. But I just thought there must be a way I can do everything. And people have said to me, you can't do it all. Um, and I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to say, no, I, I am the one who's going to be able to, to, get to, to, to do it. And then, so it was a bit of like humble pie kind of thinking, well, it's just not going to be like that. Uh, but yeah, now, now it's in a, I'm in a great place with that decision. I think it's definitely the right decision, you know, to focus on one purpose. It is, there isn't that many brands who manage to have kind of two big purposes at their, at their heart. So. I, I think that it is one of those really tricky things in business where you have something you're so passionate about delivering when you realize that actually what you've come up with is not going to meet the price point that you need to sell it at and having yeah. to take a step back and go okay hang on a second this is business and that that's super important it's not just what I want to do yeah and that that drives so much of every decision now and at the beginning that didn't because I was still figuring out what the costs were I still didn't really know you know what the end product was going to be and what the costs were and now costs drive everything but it's it's good because I'd spent so much time at the beginning on that purpose and embedding that in the mission of the business that yeah even though the costs are now driving every decision I feel like those foundations are there in terms of yeah we're not going to start adding sugar uh, even though it would make the product really really cheap and and we'd sell much more of it um 
you know, yeah, so I'm glad we've we kind of got those foundations in early in terms of what our purpose was going to be and spent so much time researching that. It sounds like it, it's been a long, challenging process, tweaking the product and making changes and losing the wrappers. How have you kept your mindset positive and keep on going forward during these challenges? Oh, God, I don't know, especially when I think about that, it's been four years of this, but I'm quite tenacious. I've got a lot of grit. And when I say I'm going to do something, I'll see it through to, to the bitter end. I think in terms of mindset for me, it's about surrounding myself with positive people and people who are also in the same boat and you know amazingly in the food industry there are loads of food brands loads of small challenger brands and there's a real network and a sense of community and so yeah there's, there's amazing podcasts there's um i set up a female founders in food group um and we meet um i've got other networks that we meet and have uh, whatsapp groups and mentors um, that really support you and you can talk through all these challenges and the thing is you're not going through anything alone especially in the food industry and whatever you're going through there's a bigger brand out there who's going through it 100 times worse you realize our oh, problem is nothing compared to what they're going through um, so that really helps keep me sane I guess so surrounding yourself with like-minded business owners and mentors and founders yeah definitely yeah yeah so what stage is Snackzilla at now? So, um, yeah, exciting, really exciting time because I realised, I knew very early on from the very beginning of setting this up that I wasn't going to be able to do this on my own. When I say on my own, as a kind of a small brand, I think that goes back to what I said earlier about this was never going to be a kind of farmer's market um, brand or even a brand that was going to be successful if it was like you know in whole foods I knew from the beginning that I needed it to be much bigger than that if it was going to make an impact in terms of that purpose the costs involved with running a business a food business are just astronomical and you cannot cannot concede uh, succeed really without backing behind you um, and so for me that was always thinking of what industry partner is out there that could really help support me help me grow it help me um yeah make all those decisions and potentially one day you know take it on and so um yeah i'm delighted that warburton's in january has become that partner so they've taken a minority share in us um and there i'm working with them now to try and really grow the business and get it into those supermarkets they're one of the biggest uk food brands they're still family owned fifth generation family owned and they're supporting british baked uh, brands um, through an incubator and kind of an investment scheme. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm so lucky that they chose me um, to work with. So yeah, it's super exciting. What impact does that have on your daily life? I know you've got two young sons. You said eight and did you say eleven? Yeah. Yes. So you're you're a busy mom juggling all the things. What does your working life look like? Um, it's still really flexible. You know, I'm still running the business the way that works for me and my family. And for me, that is, you know, it's so much easier now that they're older. You know, when, when I was working, when they were younger, it was constantly juggling. Now it's so much easier. Um, so, you know, I still do drop off and pick up. Um, with COVID, it means my husband's now working full time from home. So we share everything. And I usually usually work in bed 
and on the weekends when they're doing their activities and stuff. So I find that the juggle is, is far less. Um, and working with Warburton's now with, with the investment, I've just hired someone who's starting in two weeks. Um, so that's going to be brilliant. That's my first hire and I'm looking for a second person. So I'm really starting to grow a team. And that's kind of the, this shift, which is for me in my mindset of from doing it all on my own, really, um, to moving on to kind of creating that team and to delegating responsibility is going to be a really interesting period uh, of growth. But I'm super excited about it. You look it, your whole face lit up when you said yeah. delegating. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's what I love to do. And that's where I really um thrive is is working in a team environment you know bouncing ideas off each other and really kind of sharing responsibility and it's so hard working on your own because you're the one coming up with the ideas and then implementing the ideas and then reviewing the idea to see if that was successful and when you're doing that all on your own you can kind of really get stuck in the mud I think um, and just working in a team gives you the opportunity to step back and think about that bigger picture, think about the strategy, really, and that's why I'm gonna really focus my time on now um, in terms of growing it. It's just so hard to grow a business when you're, when you're on your own without a team. So I'm excited. Have you got this far completely on your own? Have you been using freelancers or VAs or just you? I've been using freelancers. So I've had um, a person who works four, four hours a week on <laughs> Minefield, the back-end algorithms of Amazon advertising. Um, so I kind of outsourced that and I've outsourced where, you know, branding and design. I've outsourced um, someone who helps me write the newsletter. Um, I've outsourced someone who helps me with some design, um, a recent graduate who does some kind of animations for me. So wherever there's been like specific skill that, you know, is so specific and I can't really train. I don't really have time to learn how to do animation or Amazon algorithms. So things like that, I've, I've paid where I've needed that kind of skill set. It's so exciting. And um, what do you do to look after yourself? You're growing this huge, ambitious, purpose-driven brand. You're doing drop-off, you're doing pick-up, you're growing your team. How do you look after you to keep your mojo high and your energy upbeat good question I do like to switch off you know when I can whether that's in the evenings or the weekend and I think that was something I never used to be able to do and that's something I've had to learn to do over the last three years um, just to completely switch off from work and thinking about it you know whether that's reading exercise watching trashy tv whatever it is um, lots of cooking that means I can't think about work during that time um so yeah but I need to be better at that I definitely do need to be better at it the thing is I I love it and without without it I kind of feel I do thrive off adrenaline <laughs> and the, and stress <laughs> um so yeah but um, I'm kind of managing to juggle it all and like I said it's just so much easier as soon as the kids get older and they you know they need you in different ways um so you know they need more emotional support rather than physical support um so it does make things much easier and and with my husband being here you know sharing everything that's my yeah I wouldn't be able to do it without him is he going to go back to work or is he going to stay working from home no he's going to stay one day a week he's planning to go to the office and four days at home and but that was a thing when we decided that I was going to do this business that was part of the kind of negotiation with his employer to say, you know, he needed to have flexibility 
he needed to be able to be at home if the kids were sick or if they needed pick up or to take them to their piano lessons or whatever it is. Um, so it's just been brilliant. I just don't think I could have done it without someone um, being there to be that backup. I mean, that shouldn't be huge, but that is fairly huge and amazing and awesome. How did you get him to buy into your vision? Because I, I know personally, my husband sometimes doesn't understand what it's like being an entrepreneur. And I know lots of my members have the same sort of things where their partner's are like, why, why are you working now? Why, you know, they just don't get it. It's a very different mindset. How, mm. how did you get your husband to completely buy in and, um, you know, change his working world to, to support you? Yeah, I think it was tricky because when I think back to how, you know, when I was running my own business before um, in the previous guises, it wasn't like that at all. You know, he was working, you know, full time, would be back late. Um, I was doing all the household chores and the kids and trying to, to work. And it just got to that point where I was like, well, this, this just isn't acceptable <laughs> anymore. Like things need to change. But he also could see the opportunity with Snackzilla in terms of, you know, our lives and creating a business, you know, that could be successful hopefully one day. And yeah, he was just all in to support it, really supportive of the opportunity. So yeah, hopefully one day we'll be able to employ him to come on board and, uh, and work for it too. So yeah, that's the plan. Fantastic. And is it a profitable business yet? No, no, and it won't be for a while. I think, um, yeah, food brands, it's really, really hard to be profitable so early on. Um, unless you're kind of an artisan uh, product that's quite quite pricey and you're selling in, you know, you're making it yourself and you're selling in kind of small scale. I think then you can be quite profitable quite early on. But for me, because I wanted to go down the mass market route, there are huge costs involved with production, packaging all prices are going through the roof at the moment and there's a limit to what consumers actually willing to pay so you can't put your prices up even though all your prices are going up and the cost of getting into a supermarket people don't realize you know you have to pay massive amount of marketing investment it's there's one stage of getting your product on the shelf in the supermarket but to get that product off the shelf you have to really market the hell out of that product and really spread the word to get consumers to go into that supermarket and buy you. They're not going to do it. They're not just going to walk past and see you and pick you up on a whim. Um, so you have to spend considerable amounts of money, like tens and tens of thousands of pounds per supermarket to make that work and to fund promotions and fund signage and um, to fund all the marketing you do outside of the supermarket as well to drive traffic there. Um, so yeah, it's not profitable yet. It will be. Uh, there is a forecast and a plan and targets now with Warburton's about how we make it profitable. And for that, for our, us to be profitable, it's all about a volume game. We have to be buying packaging and ingredients in massive volumes, and therefore we have to be selling in massive volumes. So we only become profitable when we're in the big supermarkets. So there's a plan in place and hopefully we reach those targets over the next two to three years. But yeah, for anyone going into a food business, it's, it's understanding the costs involved, which I didn't really understand at the beginning, um, truly how immense they were. So you need to have some plan of 
of where you're going to get that funding from, whether it's investment from VCs or angels or crowdfunding or your own, you know, savings and friends and family. But yeah, you need to go into it with a plan of, of this is going to cost you money, a lot of money before you start making money. I mean, the, the, the idea that you have to pay tens of thousands of pounds to Sainsbury's or Waitrose or whoever it is to have your product sold is kind of mind blowing if you don't work in the food business. And presumably yeah. that's a bit of a shock for people in the early stages. Definitely. When I realised that. Um, and but the thing is, you can only get the, those supermarkets sell a lot of product. <laughs> they are the gatekeeper to most consumers. I mean, consumers are starting to change their buying behavior. They are starting to buy more online, maybe direct from brands or via Amazon. But the majority of parents are still buying their lunchbox snacks through supermarkets. So for me, that was definitely uh, a route that I had to take. But a lot of food brands are really successful and they're not in supermarkets. And they actively choose not to go down that route. And they sell in, you know, food service. So they might be in schools or aeroplanes or um, hotels they sell in cafes anywhere you go and you buy products which you might never see in the supermarket and actually that can be much more profitable um, so there's so many other places to sell other than supermarkets so it very much depends on what your product is and for me for my target market and they're not really buying that in bulk yet so it'll be interesting to see how consumers markets are still something that we have to go for. So what would your top three pieces of advice be for someone who wants to start up a food business, having been in this world for some years now? Uh, first one would be funding. <laughs> Think about all your costs um, related to the manufacturing, production, marketing of your product and how are you going to fund it? Um, and there's so many different routes to, to funding. But yeah, really think about that at the beginning, because that is the, the businesses that haven't I've seen over the last four years where we started at the same time and they they haven't been successful. You know, they, they're not existing anymore um, is because most people just run out of money. Sadly, you know, there might still be people buying it and people love your product and it tastes amazing and it's fulfilling the kind of opportunity and a customer demand. But they just run out of money in terms of cash flow. So thinking about where you can get that access to money. Um, secondly, would be talking to people who've done something similar before you or a couple of years ahead of you. And people are so generous with their time and they're willing to, to talk and support and mentor people. So just reaching out on LinkedIn or social media and asking people just for some time of some of their time to talk you through. Um, their kind of learnings is really useful so I did that a lot at the beginning reaching out to food, food brands and then yeah that research piece that where are the gaps in the market if someone hasn't done it before what are the reasons why why hasn't it been successful for them or why is something working well for other companies um, and yeah do that research as much as possible and, and keep doing it never stop that kind of research and that analytical piece even once you've been going for years you know I'm still talking to people thinking about um, trends and consumer behavior um, because yeah it drives everything that kind of shopper behavior is constantly changing and so you've got to constantly be on the kind of pulse of what's happening with your market. And um, going to the British Library is such a lovely thing to do, to look at all of the oh, market research. I'm, I should I'm, do that I, now. I should do that again. I haven't read anything for years. So 
yeah I need to go too so let's go together because it's yeah. it's such a nice time to, to you know such a nice day out to sit and in, in the library and, and do all your market research yeah and it's all for free you know I didn't realize that another food brand told me that at the beginning she said to me go to the British Library you get all the industry reports for free you know otherwise you have to pay you know probably a thousand pounds for a report um and you you get to I think you get to print off certain amount of pages or you just screenshot everything um but yeah super useful when you're building that kind of initial funding deck of you need those stats you need to know how many people are in your target market you know how many people are buying healthy stacks every day um, and you can get all that kind of data for free yeah um, is there one tool or resource or book that you found incredibly useful that you would like to share with the listeners that might help them on their business journey well I use Canva a lot which probably most people already know of I feel I was quite late to the party on that one <laughs> but I, <laughs> I use that a lot and um so I've moved away from using InDesign and Illustrator and Photoshop, which I used to use for stuff, for creating content and decks and everything. And now everything's on Canva and I absolutely love it. And then the books by David Hyatt, I don't know if you've read them, uh, it's called, they're called Do, and there's a series of one. One's about purpose, I've read that one. And one's, about, one's called Open, and that's all about how to create newsletter content that, that makes your customer want to open it. Uh, both are really short, sharp, succinct, and really fascinating. Lots of really practical tips in those books. So I recommend them as well. Where can people find Snackzilla cookies? So um, we're about to launch on Ocado, <gasps> which has been a long, long time coming. They said yes to me that they wanted to stock it three years ago. Wow. So that just <laughs> shows how long it takes. And for various reasons, obviously, COVID was part of it. You've got constantly, you've got a turnover of buyers. So the person who says yes, one minute, next month they've left. <laughs> you know, and you don't get an email to say, I'm leaving. This is your new, my new replacement. They just go. And you have to then find out who's replaced them. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I have to bake on Monday for them. And so, yeah, we're really excited. Carla's just our perfect perfect retailer it's where our target market is shopping at the moment and Ocado is growing it's growing massively even in the last three years it has become so much bigger than what it was so um yeah really excited to get it on there how long till we can order them on our weekly shop I think about two weeks before they start coming up that's hugely exciting yeah so please everyone buy them and and leave a review <clears throat> because Ocado love reviews the algorithm loves a review. <laughs> and where can people find out more info? If they're not on Mercado, where can they find out more information about Snackzilla? Um, our website, snackzilla.co.uk. You can buy them directly from us or via Amazon in kind of bulk boxes. Um, so yeah, please do give them a go and let me know what you think. And Well, what your kids think. They're, the, they're our consumer at the end of the day. So yeah, love to hear what your children think of them. Brilliant. Marika, thank you so much. Lovely to see you nice to see you enjoy your day i hope you found today's episode interesting and useful if you want to go deeper on how you can build a successful business around your family and thrive in 2022 i have a membership that can help you with this go to amotherbrand.com forward slash membership for more info if you've enjoyed the episode please do hit follow leave a rating leave a nice comment and share with anyone who you think might enjoy it thank you so much and see you next time